Doktor-Doktor-Doktor-Doktor-Doktor-Doktor-Doktor-Doktor-Doktor-Doktor-Doktor-Doktor-Doktor-Doktor-Doktor-Doktor-Doktor-Doktor-Doktor-Doktor-
And once this match was announced, it pretty much seemed clear as day where this was going. And it's exactly where it went. Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder defeated the Revival. So now Kurt Hawkins has, you know, finally ended his losing streak. These two guys who have been down in the dumps get their win. They're the new Raw Tag Team Champions. Unfortunately, the Revival continue to struggle to really, you know, solidify themselves as a top-level tag team because I don't know what WWE is just... I don't know if they don't believe in the Revival. I don't I mean, their whole tag division on both Raw and SmackDown is a mess. So, I don't know. I will say that Dash Wilder did get a nice pop from the crowd, uh, probably because of his actions during the WWE Hall of Fame induction ceremony, which we'll cover on the weekly episode. The following match was the... The, fi- the following match and the final match of the kickoff show was the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Now, the whole gimmick of this match was um, Colin Jost and Michael Che from SNL were the correspondents, but then they got in Braun's bad way, and so, like, Braun was going to kill him. As soon as the bell rings, Jost and Che slide out from under from the from the bottom rope and go and hide under the apron of the ring. The match, you know, goes on and Braun Strowman came out looking lean and cut. This dude, I don't know what he was doing, but he's leaned out. He looks fantastic. He looks like he's ready for another main event push. So in that fashion, he did everything he could. And by everything I could, he could, I mean, Braun Strowman won the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Now, let's see if they do something with it, unlike they have in the past. Because the last guys who have won, Cesaro, Big Show, um, Baron Corbin, Matt Hardy, and Mojo Raleigh, those five guys have not really, like, they didn't use the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal to do anything. Matt Hardy had his own thing, but had nothing to do with it. You know, Big Show already had a career. Cesaro's had success after the fact, but had nothing to do with Memorial Battle Royal. So, I guess, considering the Big Show, that, uh, that Braun Strowman is someone who you can easily implement into the main event scene, this is someone who you can sort of say... You know, when he gets there, it'll this will be something that, that catapulted him there. But he's already been there. And you can see he's someone who's easily can fit into the main event scene. So, there's that. So, the main card kicks off. And Alexa Bliss comes out. She's the host of WrestleMania 35. And she goes, I have you all in the palm of my hand. I can, and she's like, oh, no, you don't believe me? And, of course, me being the guy who I am, I think Alexa Bliss is overrated, so I'm, I'm shouting no, and I'm, you know, booing and whatnot. She goes, you don't believe me? Here. She snaps, and Hulk Hogan's entrance music hits. Now, I've expressed in the past my, my, my issues with the WWE fan base. And tonight was a huge example of that. Here's someone who 
who has been flat out racist and has not apologized for being racist. He's apologized for getting caught. Now, I understand a lot of people have this nostalgia. It's Hulk Hogan, blah, blah, blah. But the guy, I mean, we, we are anyone who's a, a real hardcore wrestling fan or who even cares a, like a modicum of, of, of uh, about the industry knows that Hulk Hogan was like a politicker. He, he didn't care about what was doing best for the company. He did what was best for him. He was very selfish. Um, and so on top of it, it's like, if that's not enough for you, well, here's, here's him being flat out racist, dropping the N word and, you know, just saying things that, that are disgusting to say. And yet just because we've had a few, like what, a year or two where we quote unquote, you know, he wasn't a part of the WWE. They removed his stuff from the archives and blah, blah, blah. You bring him out for WrestleMania 35 and it's all good. Because he got a huge pop. Everyone was cheering for him. It was it was really loud and it was crazy and I don't understand it. And being from New York, being that this WrestleMania was being advertised as being in New York, even though it's New York and New Jersey, um, I was embarrassed. I feel disgraced. Yes, I'm aware that WrestleMania is clearly not just people from New York. You know, we met people from the UK. We met people from, you know, all over the, the United States, etc., so we un- I understand that, but this is still representative of New York, and it's like, this is not cool that we're okay with this guy being who he is and just being back, but whatever, I digress. When his music hits, I decided to go to the merch stand, because there was a merch stand, like, right next to our section. Um, as I'm walking back, I hear Paul Heyman... I hear Brock Lesnar, and here we go. The first match of WrestleMania 35 is Brock Lesnar defending his Universal Championship against Seth Rollins. I was shocked that this was the first match of the card. I knew it wasn't going to be the main event, obviously, because you know they've already announced what that was going to be. But for this to open the show was surprising to me. And even more surprising was that in a match that only went 2 minutes and 30 seconds, the winner wasn't Brock Lesnar. The winner was Seth Rollins. So Rollins comes out, and he means business. He takes off his vest or whatever, but Lesnar meets him there. They start brawling before they're even in the ring, and Lesnar starts giving it to Seth Rollins. He's throwing him around the table. He's putting him through this. He's smacking him through that. F5 here, F5 there. And, and I, look at Je- I look at Shades and I go, watch, bell ring, curb stomp, one, two, three. And it's not exactly how it went, but it's basically how it went. Once they got back in the ring and they rang the bell to start the match, there wasn't a lot that there was, you know, some offense. And then it was Seth hitting Brock with three curb stomps to put away Brock Lesnar and become the new universal champion. And I thought, man... That's a way to start WrestleMania. That's how you open a WrestleMania. The following match was 
AJ Styles versus Randy Orton. So this match had been kind of built up as like indie versus WWE. You know, AJ Styles who cut his teeth in Ring of Honor, New Japan, TNA, so on and so forth. 15 years later, comes to WWE versus Randy Orton, who is a WWE bred, you know, from these through and through. Um, the match was fine. Unfortunately, the match was kind of overshadowed by some production stuff. So the way the the ring and stage were set up, there's a you know the big canopy that's over the ring, which they do when they have these the, the stadium shows, and they have these like quadrillion lights that surround the canopy, and the section two sections over from us to our right, apparently we're being blinded by some of these lights so they're chanting we can't see we can't see turn the light off turn the lights off and this is going on for quite some time and it also appears that across from them so if you have the four corners like corner one and corner two to our left two sections over to our left they're having the same issue so they start chanting the same thing so then a production guy with a headset comes out and he's trying to figure out what's going on. And so everyone in the lower bowl is distracted completely by what's going on with these two sections and them being blinded. They're chanting, they're cheering, they're booing when the lights get turned on, they're cheering when the lights get turned off. It was a mess. So unfortunately, I feel like because of that, this match suffered. You know, it went it went 16 minutes long and I feel like about... 10 of those minutes were wasted with this lighting issue that I'm sure, I don't know what it, what it came off as. I don't know how it came off on the live feed, but it felt like there was very little energy because the crowd was distracted. Um, ultimately, AJ Styles does defeat Randy Orton. Uh, AJ goes with a phenomenal forearm and Randy goes to, to dodge it or to reverse it into an RKO. But AJ knows that he's going to do that, so he blocks that and then hits him with a phenomenal forearm and gets the 1-2-3 pinfall. I'm glad to see AJ beat Randy Orton. I'm an AJ fan. I'm not a really a Randy Orton fan. Um, considering the story that they were telling, I, I think that knowing WWE, they wouldn't want to be considered or thought of as like being homers, so to speak. So considering the story that they were telling was indie versus homegrown, I'm not too surprised that they went with AJ Styles winning here. The next match on the card was the Fatal 4-Way Tag Team match for the WWE SmackDown Tag Team Championship. Excuse me. Defending champions, the Usos, Jimmy and Jay, were going up against Cesaro and Sheamus, The Bar, uh, Shinsuke and Rusev, and... Of course, the guys from NXT, Aleister Black, and Ricochet. There were some people who thought that since Aleister Black and Ricochet did not win a takeover, that they had to win tonight. I didn't think that was the case. I didn't want them to win. I don't want these two guys to be a tag team. So I'm glad that they did not win. My pick was Rusev and Shinsuke, because I thought that was something dumb enough that WWE would do, although in reality, I was hoping the Usos won. And the Usos delivered a double Uso splash to Sheamus to go ahead and retain the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. 
in terms of retaining championships. That's something that I want to get back to later. The following match was the Falls Count Anywhere match between Shane McMahon and The Miz. They showed the promo hype package about, you know, what happened between these two guys and how Shane insisted that, I mean, that Miz insisted that the Shane, that Shane and him become a tag team to make his dad proud, blah, 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 and it works, and then they lose, and then Shane turns on The Miz, blah, blah, blah. The match starts pretty basic in the ring with The Miz trying to beat up on Shane, and then it turns where Shane is beating up on The Miz. Shane puts The Miz on the announce table, and he climbs up to the top turnbuckle to do what Shane does. Shane's going to deliver the flying elbow, the diving elbow from the top turnbuckle through the Miz um, onto the table. And the Miz's father says, no, 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 we ain't having none of that. So Miz's dad jumps in front of the Miz and he doesn't let Shane do it. He takes his shirt off like he's ready to fight Shane McMahon. Um, and he gets in the ring. So the Miz's dad and Shane are both in the ring. The Miz's dad squares up. He's like, yo, let's go. You want to go? We'll go. And Shane at first is like, yeah, you want to go? You want to go? You want to go? And he's like, nah, I'm not going to go. And then he actually starts to beat him up. That's when the Miz comes back, starts wailing on Shane. Now from here on in, the entire story of the match is The Miz beating up Shane like Shane stole his lunch money. He's diving through the crowd. He's in the crowd. He's pummeling him. He's punching him. He's hitting him. He's putting him through this table, through that table. He's putting him in this thing and that thing. And finally, they get onto some elevated, like, perch kind of thing. And obviously, like, right to the left of it is this big, giant mat. So we know what the spot's going to be. But nonetheless, it was exciting to see Shane McMahon gets superplexed by The Miz off of this scaffolding contraption or whatever onto this giant mat. And just because of the way they land, Shane lands on top of The Miz, and they're both knocked out. So the ref counts one, two, three. As Shane is on top of The Miz, Shane gets the pinfall victory over The Miz, despite the fact that The Miz really did beat the bejesus out of Shane McMahon. The more gold is on the line now, as the women's tag team championships are on the line. And the Boston Hog Connection, Bailey and Sasha Banks, put their titles on the line in a four corners match between the Iconics, Billy Kay and Payne Royce, Nia Jazzatamina, and the Divas of Doom, Beth Phoenix and Natalia, who were accompanied by Bret, uh, Bret Hart um, just at the top of the stage. But then he stayed, and they they you know came down to the ring. The match was not great. It was fine. I mean, these four all do what they do, and if you know all four of these teams, and if you've seen any of them work together before, you can kind of figure out how this is going to work. You know, Bailey and Sasha Banks are the technical. Um, Jazz and Tamina are the powerhouses. They're going to go around and try and just, like, demolish people. Beth Phoenix and Natalia are both technical, but they also have the power. And the Iconics are kind of, like, sneaky and sly, and they try and hide from people, and they pick their spots. That's pretty much what this match was. You know, you had Bailey and Sasha doing a lot of the, the work rate stuff, while Jazz and Tamina were doing Samoan drops and slamming people and doing this and super kicking and blah, blah, blah. Um... But at the end of the day, the titles changed hands. And I was surprised by this. 
I mean, maybe I shouldn't have been, but I was. And I got to say, despite them not being my predictions, I'm glad that the winners of this match and the new WWE Women's Tag Team Champions are the Iconics. Now, this is a team that, you know, they knew each other in Australia as kids. They went to school together. They were kind of jealous of each other because of the fact that they were both wrestling fans and it was it created a small rivalry and then they became friends, they became best friends, started training together, became wrestlers together, did this whole journey together, and now they're tag team champions together. And as soon as like that bell rang and you know that ref hit one, two, three and the bell rang, Billy Kay starts crying immediately. And just and seeing the the care and the passion, the tears in her eyes it really, it really does kind of just remind you what this can mean to people, you know, just how great the journey could be for somebody. It really makes you care about them because the Iconics or, you know, playful kind of, you know, silly heels where at first people were so annoyed by them that they hated them. But by the time we got here, they were getting chant. They were getting cheered for, and so when they won, they got a, actually a really loud pop. And I think it's because of that personality, that that personability that these two women project that that has created that. So I'm I'm happy for them. There was some chance that I wasn't really fond of people like, oh, you deserve it. I'm like, listen, they haven't been here long enough to claim that you deserved it, but it's a nice moment for them, so I'm happy for them. Moving on to what ended up being probably the biggest match of the night. So Daniel Bryan, the new Daniel Bryan, is the WWE champion. He is defending it against Kofi Kingston. Now, the story going into this match was that Kofi was being held down by Vince and by Daniel Bryan, that no one thought Kofi was good enough. You know, they've been fighting for Kofi to get his spot, to earn his spot. He finally earns his spot, and the New Day helps him earn his spot. And Kofi Mania, Kofi Mania, Kofi Mania, Kofi Mania. Now, we've talked about Kofi Mania on the past, in the past on the show. I myself am not a fan of Kofi Mania. I'm not about Kofi Mania. I think it's very short-sighted. I think it's destined to be short-lived. And I think it shows part of the problem with WWE's fans and which enables the WWE because Kofi Kingston would never have been considered a top guy, a WWE champion contender before that gauntlet match where he replaced Mustafa Ali. Before that night, there was no Kofi mania. No one cared about Kofi. Kofi was just that guy in the new day. The people cared about Kofi because of what Kofi did in the New Day. Not because they wanted Kofi to be a top guy. But because he has one good match. And then they start to push it. Now all of a sudden everyone loves Kofi. Kofi Mania. Kofi loses we riot. Blah, 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 blah. And that sort of flavor of the month um, fandom is what allows WWE to do whatever they want. Because they think... That they can decide what that flavor is. They think that they decide 
who should be top guy. Now, that might sound like it's contradicting itself. Oh, but the fans got behind Kofi, and that's where the WWE pushed him. Yes. For sure. Fine. Great. Fantastic. This time. But because the WWE knows that their fans are so quick to jump to something else, they know that, or they think that, if they put the right thing in front of them, that the fans will jump on it. And that's the problem. So anyway, the crowd, the audience, the... I don't know, 32, the 82,000 plus people that were there. Of those 82,000 plus, according the, the attendance, which um, Alexa Bliss revealed later, was 82,265. Of that number, I want to say all but maybe five were all about Kofi Mania. I was part of that five. But the place was rocking. People were, were like, you know, stomping their feet. People were chanting and screaming. It was everyone was behind Kofi. So when Kofi Kingston pinned Daniel Bryan one, two, three in the middle of the ring to become the new WWE champion, the place exploded. Everybody lost it. He brought his kids in. They unveiled the like proper WWE champion they got rid of the hemp belt so it was like you had an apex and then another one and then another one and then another one all within one match Kofi wins oh we brought back the new belt oh look it's his kids oh yay you know everything's great and I knew Kofi was gonna win and it's funny so I actually picked Daniel Bryan and I would have stayed with that pick until we're watching the match and on the screens, they keep cutting back to the locker room and how everyone's surrounding the, the the TV watching it, rooting for Kofi. And once I saw that, I was like, oh, well, I know where this is going. Obviously, Kofi's going to win. And that's what happened. Now, I don't want people to get me to get it wrong. And when Kofi won, I was very upset. And I was very upset for a different reason. But here's my issue with Kofi winning. Again, I think it's short-sighted. I don't think Kofi Kingston has the in-ring ability or the character to really be a champion and take it far. I think you're very limited with what you can do with Kofi Kingston as your top guy. His mic work isn't there. His, his character personality doesn't really lend... To, to taking on big top heels and being your top champion. It just, Kofi Kingston, the way he is right now, and who he is, in my opinion, is very limited. Very limited. Daniel Bryan gives you more options. When you have, when you're going to put the championship, the, their top title, or one of your top titles on a guy, or a gal, whatever, you have to think long term. You have to think, you know, what options do I have down the road to go against this person? What obstacles are going to come their way? Who's going to defend? Who are they going to defend their title against? You know, and 
And I think that's a huge problem that WWE has is that they don't think about that stuff. They don't look at that stuff. They just do now and then figure it out later. And you can't do that. You have to be able to know what possible potential competitors you can line up for this championship, for this champion. And I feel like anyone else who's, who could be a top heel to go up against Kofi can and should beat Kofi. Kofi doesn't feel like someone who's going to be able to hold it and, and be a captivating champion. I feel like it's going to run its course very soon. And people don't people don't get it. People are too hung up in the moment. In, in Kofi Mania, which I just, I think it's a mistake. And someone, I, we were walking out of the, the stadium, I heard someone's like, oh man, even if he loses it and drops it on Tuesday, it's fine. How is that fine? Why are we okay as a fan base with just give me this for a day and then and, and take it away? I don't care if it's only for a day. Do does like we're talking about the WWE Championship. We're talking about the top belt, the top prize in this company's history. And we're okay with letting someone hold it for a day just so that you can, you know, run, you know, ride the wave. Does legacy not matter? Does honor not matter? Does prestige not matter? Because here's the thing. When you start saying things like, oh, I don't care if he only has it for a day, right? You cared about him winning it for a reason because you know it means something. But when you start letting people just have it for a day because you want to ride the wave or ride the wave or whatever, it stops meaning anything. And so at some point, who cares? And that's not what you want. You never want you never want your top championship to be thought of as who cares. It needs to have weight. It needs to have a reason. People need to want to go for this championship. And part of that is prestige and honor and legacy. People want to say that they held the same championship as Hulk Hogan, The Rock, Stone Cold, um, Bruno San Martino, uh, um, uh, Triple H, you know, Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar. We're talking big names here. John Cena, Randy Orton. Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels. These are not names to just, you know, to, to just whiff at. I'm naming some of the biggest names that have ever crossed into the world of professional wrestling. But if you just give it to some guy, then it stops, it doesn't, it ceases to matter. Anyway. I feel like I've been ranting for long enough. I, I, I went on a tangent for quite a bit. Um, so Kofi Kofi wins. He is a new WWE champion. Let's see what happens on Tuesday. The following match was for the United States Championship. Samoa Joe defending his championship against Rey Mysterio. Mysterio comes out. He has his great entrance. Yada, yada, yada. Joe comes out. And there are reports that Mysterio was hurt, which is why he didn't participate in the go-home show of SmackDown. Um... And so we kind of figured this would be a short match. And um, and short match was it. 
Rey Mysterio got in some offense early, hit the 619 early, and then before you knew it, he was in the Coquina clutch, and he was asleep. In exactly 60 seconds, Samoa Joe squashed Rey Mysterio, and that was that. And you know what? As much as I like Rey Mysterio and I respect him and all that, I was fine with this. It makes Joe look great, makes the U.S. Championship look good. You know, keeps the card moving. We needed a squash match. We needed some short matches because, you know, we have 16 matches on the card. The show started, the kickoff show started at 5.30 or 5 o'clock with the first match being at 5.30. Main card starts at like 7.30. This rain past midnight, you know, we needed some squashes throughout the night. We needed some, some quick, let's move it along, you know. We needed that a little bit. The following match was... One of the, I believe it was four non-title matches. So it was Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre. Ever since Roman came back from, you know, his battle with leukemia, Drew McIntyre had been fighting Roman and everyone in the Shield and, you know, concussing Roman and telling about Roman's family and blah, blah, blah. So they had this singles match. Now, I am not, a, I knew, in my heart of hearts, I knew Roman was going to win. This first match back from leukemia, all that stuff, which I think is a mistake. I think that's pandering to the crowd rather than building up your future star in Drew McIntyre. So I'm not going to lie. It's a little petty of me, but I said to Shades, I said, if this is not a squash match, if this is not over in 60 seconds, I'm going to go and, you know, hit the merch stand again or get some food or go to the bathroom or something. And that's what I did. As soon as the match took longer than 30 seconds, I was gone. So I did not watch this match, although it only went 10 minutes. And from what I understand, asking Shades and Joey when I got back to my seats, not much happened. They said it was boring. Um, simple spear and Roman, Reign, Roman Reigns goes over because 2 plus 2 equals 4 minus 1. That's 3 quick maths, you know? Now, more interesting than this, in my opinion, was what followed. So, Elias had been announced as being the musical headliner for WrestleMania 35. At this point, he had not yet shown up. We haven't even heard of Elias yet. I actually forgot all about Elias. I'm not going to lie to you. I was still in the concourse when I heard him. And, you know, I was like, ladies and gentlemen, Elias. And he comes out and he plays the drums. Ladies and gentlemen, Elias. And then he plays the piano. And he plays the guitar. And I'm like, all right, whatever. I don't care. Lo and behold, at some point, we hear some record scratching and some violin playing and two words, or is it four? It's four words, five, six words, whatever. That changed everything. Word life. This is basic thugonomics. When I heard that, I ran back to my seat as quickly as it's funny. I was at the I was getting food and I'm at the register and the woman's like, is that John Cena? And I go, yes, it is. That's old school Cena. And I took off back to the seats and I saw and I go, shades. Word life is the doctor thugonomics. And John Cena is out in, like, his old-school regalia. 
My man is wearing a giant Yankee throwback Yankees jersey. He's wearing his pumps. He's got on like a backwards cap. He's got on like the the um the the um the nameplate finger rings. And he starts trashing on Elias the way he used it. Yo, cut the beat. And he starts like dropping bars on him. And it was like old school Cena where he's being like he's dropping sexual innuendos and he's, you know, cursing him out. He said that he looks like his nuts, but with more bush. And he shows a picture of like nuts, like eating nuts. And just it was I thought I was in another universe. I mean, he said something about a heel turn. I was like, what? I didn't. It was amazing. So much so that, A, I need to watch it back. And B, the whole place was chanting for Cena. Cena, Cena, Cena. I have never been. I've been to a number of wrestling shows. I'm not going to say a lot. A few. A handful. And I've never heard an uninterrupted Cena chant. It's always been, let's go Cena, Cena sucks. It's always been, you know, just something negative about John Cena. But this was all just everyone. 82,000 people chanting for Cena. And it was amazing. It was like a flashback to when Cena was cool. And he even said, like, I think his final line of his of his rap to Elias was, um, I'm not going to hit you with the attitude adjustment. I'm going to hit you with the F.U. And I was like, what? He, like, him and Elias have a scuffle. There's a five-knuckle shuffle, the whole nine yards, and he pumps up. He hits the pumps on his kicks. He pumps up his kicks before he hits them with the FU. It was amazing. It was one of the best parts of the night. So now let's get back to the, the drag. Uh, the following match is scheduled for one fall. Sorry, couldn't help myself. Uh, Triple H versus Batista, but he's his first match back since uh, starting that whole feud with Triple H, beating up Ric Flair, so on and so forth. So the stipulation was that it was no holds barred, and if Triple H lost, he would never be able to compete in the ring ever again. And this match was really boring. And I understand what they were going for and why they went no holds barred, so that these guys didn't have to worry about like really going for it. Um, there was a toolbox, and so Triple H using different tools from the toolbox to mess with him, you know, getting his fingers, and then pulling out his nose ring, and all this other stuff, I don't know, I just didn't care for it, um, they tried, like, three table spots, and only one of them worked, that was fun, um, Ric Flair eventually comes out, and hands Triple H a sledgehammer, Triple H hits, uh, Batista with a sledgehammer on the head, Pedigree, one, two, three, ball game. Not sure what the point of bringing Batista back just to lose. I'm not really sure what the point of that is. Uh, I don't know why Triple H needs to continue to be able to have an in-ring career when he's very much not an in-ring competitor anymore. But, you know, Trips is going to bury because Trips is going to Trips. So by this part of the night, we're 13 matches in. It's already... I want to say 11. And we're starting to get a little restless. Um, it got very chilly as the night went on. And so the crowd got very restless. People kept getting up to get food, to get hot chocolate, to get 
merch shirts or sweaters to put on top of their shirts and on top of their sweaters and everyone's just very restless it was a very long show you know so by the time we got to this point we we're like yo let's let's keep this ball rolling so baron corbin comes out to face kurt angle and kurt angle's farewell match and anyone who like you know really knows the business knows that you're supposed to go out on your back Old school set, old school method indicates that when a performer is calling it quits in their career or in their promotion, they're supposed to lose and put over a younger talent. Now, I would have preferred, in terms of, you know, ceremoniously doing something, I would prefer Kurt Angle to face somebody else on his way out. But considering the old school logic, I understand why it was Baron Corbin. WWE holds Baron Corbin very highly. He's one of their top heels. They use him quite a bit. So if Kurt Angle is going to go out, he can put over Baron Corbin on his way out. And that's what happened. Um, it almost came up as a fluke because Kurt Angle was, he had the upper hand. He went for a moonsault, which terrified everybody. And he missed it, which horrified everybody. And then it turned into, you know, Baron hitting Kurt with the end of days. And that was the end of Kurt Angle's career's days. Kurt Angle gave a quick message on the mic thanking everybody for his career. Um, and he hit his music and he was gone. You know, we, you know, thank you, Kurt Angle, for an amazing in-ring career. Um, so that was that. So... At this point, we have two match, two cards. Uh, excuse me, two matches left. Bobby Lashley's music hits with my boy Leo Rush, and then Finn Balor's music hits, and the place explodes. As Finn Balor, in only four minutes, with the whole demon shit going on, defeating Bobby Lashley to become the new Intercontinental Champion. Now, what I don't like about this was that they introduce him. And they announce him, even after winning the match, as the demon Finn Balor. And I just feel like WWE is pushing this demon thing way too far because you're lacking flexibility. The whole point of the face makeup and the body makeup was just something that Finn did for big matches because it looked cool. It was just something cool to do. It wasn't always a demon. Sometimes he was he did the Jack the Ripper, he did the Joker, he did this, he did that, like whatever, he did other things, you know. But now it's like he's stuck doing this demon thing, and like he sucks, he's sticking his tongue out to be all like weird, and it's like I don't know. Look, at the end of the day, I'm a Balor fan. Balor's a great in ring worker. He's got great charisma. He's got a great look, um, and him winning the IC Championship is one that I'm cool with. So. I can't complain there. Now, as we get to the main event, things start to look a little shaky, in my opinion. We had Seth become the new Universal Champion. We had the Iconics be the new Tag Champs. We had Kofi win the WWE Championship. You know, Finn Balor was the new IC Champion. So, titles are in Buddy Murphy earlier in the night, became the new Cruiserweight Champion. So, titles are just switching hands left and right. This is basically New Japan, you know, um, 
the Wrestle Kingdom Wrestle uh, Wrestle Kingdom show from this past year, where they're just dropping titles left and right. And so, once we got to this point, and this is part of why I was upset about the Kofi thing, is that Shades and I were like, with all these titles changing hands, like, Becky can't win. It's got to be someone who already has a title. And so, the main event, Becky Lynch versus Ronda Rousey versus Charlotte Flair, winner take all, triple threat match for the Raw and SmackDown Women's Championships. Where do I begin? This is the match that I was most excited for. This was the match that was the main event. This was the match that was supposed to be the thing. This has been building up since Survivor Series, since the Rumble. WWE, in my opinion, by giving the fans what they want in every match... By doing all these title changes, by giving into things like Kofi Mania, and by putting Kofi Mania 10th on the card of 16. By the time we, and by having 16 matches, by the way, let's not forget that. Having 16 matches is part of the problem. By the time we got to this match that started at about 11.45, the crowd was gone exhausted we went from people chanting about their lights being like they're being blinded by lights we went from Kofi like you know the plays were going nuts for Kofi Kingston by the time we got to this match any time that any of us tried to I tried starting a chant a few times some people in front of me started we couldn't get a chant going and if a chant got going it would get going in a section, it would carry for a little bit, and then it would die. And I think a huge part of that is when you have 16 matches, and the card starts at 5, and it runs past midnight, and then you have this big face situation that takes place smack dab in the middle of the card, but then you have a bunch of matches after, and then this, it was just, I think, too many matches... Poor match placement on the card. And too many faces winning big moments really took away from this moment. On top of that, the way the match finished does not lend itself for a big moment. So... The they're going back and forth. All three women are really like taking it to each other. What I did like is that they're very few and far apart. Those moments in triple threat matches where like one person gets tossed down and the other two like wrestle for a while. This was very much a you know one on one on one. They all went after each other pretty much equally. There were very short uh, short instances where there was ever a one on one situation. Now it ends. The finishes is basically. A table was set up in the ring in the corner. Uh, Ronda and, Sh- and Becky push Charlotte through the table. Oh, the table doesn't really break. But Charlotte sells it anyway. She rolls out. And Ronda goes to give Becky that, like, rolling. Like, she grabs her hands to roll up into the that Samoan drop spinning thing. The I think she calls it the Piper's Pit. Whatever. 
So she goes to do that, but on the spin of the Piper's Pit, Becky turns it into a crucifix pin. But the problem is that the the crucifix pin did not, it was not clean at all. And so, like, after one, Ronda's shoulders are lifted off the mat, but the ref continues to count two, three, and everyone's caught off guard. And it's funny because I'm looking at the match time here. It says 21 minutes and 30 seconds. It didn't feel like that to me. I felt like 10 minutes. I felt very short, and it felt like the ending was very abrupted out of nowhere. I honestly think, in my opinion, I could be wrong again. I'm just a fan. The way to really get this is Becky had to make somebody tap. Not this, you know, fluke, one, two, three, kind of like, oh, I came out of nowhere. Kofi had a decisive three count. He hit trouble in paradise, and it was one, two, three. Why didn't Becky get a, a, a you know afford the same luxury? Instead, she gets this fluky crucifix pin that I will not be surprised if Ronda or someone brings up, oh look, my shoulders were up after one, so you didn't really win. Blah blah blah. I don't know. It was a little messy, and I'm not a fan of the finish. Shades and I have said this before. Shades more than me has said, you know, the finish of a match can really turn the match. And I think that's the case here. And the finish of a show could really turn the show. People, the minute, Becky, as soon as they they rang one, two, three, and Becky's music hit, and she starts celebrating, people started moving. No No one was celebrating with her. People were gone. I was there. I was cheering. I, w- I tried to stay as long as, as long as I possibly could. But people were bolting for the doors. That's a problem. Either figure out a way to get your show shorter. Or you can't book so many matches. Or do something. You cannot have it. So that the minute the match is over. The second the match is over. People are running for the door. Becky, in my opinion, did not get her WrestleMania moment. I feel like she was robbed of it for circumstances that were out of her control. And it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Um, oh, I forgot to mention, I'm sorry. Between, I believe, the Angle match and the Balor match, um, Alexa Bliss came out to announce the attendance and offered a... Uh, said that, we need a break, and then our truth and Carmella came out, and there was a seven-second dance break. I don't know, whatever. I just felt like I had to cover that, so you know, I, I that way I could say I covered the entire show. Um, so now my overall thoughts on the show. I typically, I always say this: I need to digest the show before I can give a full opinion, and. When we were walking out, I said the same thing to Joey, to, you know, my man Joey Minardi, big ups. Um, I was like, you know, I got to digest this before I can really give my opinion. And I'm here looking at the card as I'm, you know, doing this recap and review. And I want to say it was a good show. And I want to think 
that a lot of my negative opinions are due to outside circumstances that have nothing to do with the show, i.e. the people in my row who had to get up 8 million times a night, <coughs> i.e. me not fitting into my seats because I'm gigantic and not having a sweater because I'm dumb and being cold, um, things of that nature. Did those negatively affect the show for me? And I'm going through these matches. You know, Tony Nese and Bernie Murphy, fine match. Uh, Battle Royals, didn't really care for them. Revival losing. The match was meh. Didn't like them losing. Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar, exciting. AJ versus Randy Orton. Again, that whole chanting for the lights and the lights being on and off. That was a distraction. I don't know. SmackDown tag titles match. Fine. It was good. I enjoyed it. Shane and Miz entertaining. The women's four, the... The women's tag match was okay. Um, nice outcome. Kofi and Daniel Bryan was a good match. Didn't I wasn't crazy about the outcome, but it was a good match. Jordan Mysterio was fine. You know, the one-minute squash. Roman and Drew apparently was the worst match of the night. It was very boring. Trips and Batista was boring. Corbin and Angle was whatever for six minutes. Lashley and Balor was fine. And then the main event was okay. So... What it boils down to is it's a very okay show. You know, it's a very average show. Um, I wish with all my heart that I could be like, oh my God, this is the best WrestleMania of all time. Being as I was there, you know, who doesn't want to be able to to proudly say, I was at the best show ever, blah, blah, blah. But I just don't think that that's where this show is. If I had to give the whole show a rating, you know, as we as we do here on Grapples to Apples, we rate them, you know, on a on a scale of Tope Suicidas or Tope Congiros. Um on a scale of one to five topes, I think I'm gonna have to give it a, a solid three. You know, not not exactly two and a half, which is right down the middle, but I'm gonna say a three. I just I <laughs> They were the the show was more concerned with moments than it was with matches, and I think that's problematic. Because the moments were there, Hawkins and Ryder, um, you know, the Iconics, Kofi, um, you know, Kurt, Finn, Becky. Like the moments were there, but the matches were not. I'm gonna I'm gonna say firmly that I'm giving this show a three out of five. There was a lot that I feel like the show could have done, and I think there's a lot that I thought the show should not have done. Sixty matches was way too much. In my opinion, you should have cut out all the non-title matches, all of them. Um. Unfortunately, I don't. I didn't ask Shades. For his um, ratings, but I'm sure we'll get that on Tuesday's episode. Um, but yeah, I thought the show was fine. Three out of five. I think the best match of the night, in terms of sheer work rate, would probably be Kofi and Daniel Bryan. In terms of excitement, probably um, Seth versus Brock. Um, yeah, nothing really amazing, nothing really special. It was a long show. 
It was a long day. It was a long night. But, you know, I wouldn't take it back for anything in the world. I can I can happily say that I was at WrestleMania 35. I've been to a WrestleMania now, and it was, you know, it was what it was. It wasn't bad. And I think that's what's the most important thing. It was not a bad show. I'm okay with it being average, as long as it wasn't bad. Um, so I think that's going to that's gonna wrap up this recap and review for WrestleMania 35 in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Now, Tuesday, we should be back to, you know, Shades and I doing the episode as usual. We'll probably get his thoughts on the show. We'll also be talking about the Ring of Honor New Japan Supercard, G1 Supercard that took place on Saturday. Uh, Shades and I were also at NXT, I mean at WWE WrestleMania Access. We might talk about that a little bit. We'll talk about TakeOver. We'll talk about Raw and SmackDown as they were. We had we were able to interview some people that were tailgating during WrestleMania, so we should have some of those interviews up as part of the episode as well. So... Next, so this Tuesday's episode, this week's episode that goes up on Wednesday morning, should be jam packed with plenty of you know. We're gonna be covering the stuff that happened at the, the the Hall of Fame ceremony with Bret Hart and the Enzo and Cast stuff. Just it's gonna be jam packed. So until then, thank you all for listening. I'm sorry you've had to listen to my voice and my voice alone drag on for an hour. I appreciate you still being here if you are. Don't forget to listen to us on SoundCloud.com slash Grapples to Apples. Grapples are number two apples. If not, you can catch us on Google Play Music or um, Google Play Music or Apple Podcasts. Sorry about that. Um, and don't forget also to follow us on social media, Facebook.com slash Grapples to Apples, Twitter.com slash Grapples to Apples. Again, that's the number two. Grapples the number two apples. Um, and Instagram. We're trying to do our best to really upload some stuff to Instagram. Our pictures and photos that we've took in the during tailgating for WrestleMania should either be up or be going up on our Instagram. I believe you might be able to catch a video of Shay taking a kendo stick shot to the back from his girlfriend. We'll see. Um, but until then, I have been your host, Will the Thrill, the Poetarian, Shakespearean candidate, Major English. Whatever it is that you need me to be, that's who I am. Because that's what I be, baby. That's who I is. That's what I do. So until we meet again on Wednesday, thank you all for listening. Peace.